Welcome to Shining Bright, the Farm Her radio show all about women doing great things. Women who are making the ordinary extraordinary. Women following their passion, taking action, and making a difference for themselves and others. Join me, Margie, as your host on Shining Bright by Farm Her. Welcome to Shining Bright. We are happy to be here with you today. And um, we've got an episode coming up that I'm going to I'm gonna tell you this one is, is going to tug at your heartstrings. This one is going to uh, take a deep dive into kind of some of the amazing things that can happen when um, disaster strikes and community comes together. And um, so we're going to be talking to Linda Emanuel, who you guys have heard before on Shining Bright. She is a farm her and she is a nurse in rural America. And um, she works for an organization called AgriSafe. And they really have a specific focus on the health and safety and well-being of farmers and ranchers and those people in agriculture. And they touch many different areas. Um, But Linda was um, boots on the ground. She is, she lives it. She is a farm her with her family in Nebraska. And when these terrible floods hit there this past spring in 2019, um, she was affected and her community was affected and she stepped up and, uh, answered the call and, you know, helped people bounce back and, and was there and it was a resource. And so she's going to talk to us about that. And she's going to talk to us about what they went through, what their community went through, how they came together. And, um, then later in the episode, we're going to be talking to a woman who, uh, just by the magic of the internet, um, saw what was going on in Nebraska, decided that she and her husband could help all the way from Ohio. And they pulled together a team of people, I believe about 30 people, and they uh, pulled together all these resources. They asked for help and they took them to Nebraska and put boots on the ground and they were there to help put some of those pieces back together. And um, some of the things that I have heard Linda talk about in the past and that I, I know is so important and I know is such a, a strong thing in, in agriculture specifically is resiliency, right? Like we all have it um, as human beings, right? Like it, it is a part of us. We are born and it's in us to be able to get through things and to get around things and up and over these things when they happen because that is life. But, um, you know, the definition of resiliency is the ability of something to return to its original size and shape after being compressed or deformed. So if you think about that as to how it relates to situations like this, right, like um, things change. The river in Nebraska swelled, the dam broke, the whole town changed, and it tore lives apart. And um, that resiliency mattered, you know, and how, how people gain that resiliency. I mean, it's there, but you know, I think that's such a key to agriculture is like, it is a culture of people who come together and, and know about their community and connect through their community. And it's such a cool thing, but the resiliency is, um, you know, 
it's there. And it, I think it happens even more so with agriculture um, because there are inevitable difficulties. You know, like right now, whether you're dealing with the flood or not, you're dealing with crop prices, you're dealing with ups and downs of business, you're dealing with weather, you're dealing with maybe family pressures, you're dealing with all these things that um, it, it can be tough. And, and how do you bounce back from that? And what can you do to maybe better prepare yourself to bounce back from that? And Linda's going to talk to us also about uh, their focus on mental health. So um, we like to talk about that as much as we can through this program. And I think, um, you know, having the right tools in your tool belt and making sure that you are taking care of yourself as best you can when in the times of uh, no trauma and no stress or less trauma or less stress so that when those things do happen and they're going to, that we can be resilient, that we can bounce back, that our tank isn't empty, that we have some gas left to be able to turn ourselves on and get up and get through that. So resiliency, you know, really goes back to taking care of ourselves as a whole before that. And so Linda's going to share some things through AgriSafe that if you feel like maybe there's a lack of resources in your community, ways that you or other community members who are maybe in the right place or the right position to be able to help can get some training, can get some help um, to be a resource to help people, you know, have some of those things that they need in their tool belt to be able to be resilient, to be able to be strong, to be uh, supportive to the community around them and to, to have that resiliency. Because while I hope that a flood like that never, ever happens to any of you out there, the reality is it will in one way, shape or form. It will knock us all down at some point. So I'm going to leave you with that resiliency, overcoming challenges. And that is the culture of agriculture. We'll be back here in just a few minutes on Shining Bright. back here on Shining Bright by Farmher. So for today's episode, we are revisiting something that um, made national headlines in agriculture not that long ago, right here in the Midwest, right next door to us here in Iowa, where I am. Um, as many of you know, Nebraska dealt with some major, major, unexpected, unforeseen, unheard of flooding due to a series of weather events. And um, it was just a devastating situation to watch from the outside looking in. And so here on the phone today, we are going to be talking to Linda Emanuel, who we have all met before here on Shining Bright by Farm Her. And Linda is with AgriSafe and she is also a Farm Her um, and lives and works in Nebraska and was, uh, let's say, boots on the ground with all of this. So we're going to be talking with Linda here about um, you know, what they went through, putting the pieces back together, some of the mental health components that uh, they are dealing with in the aftermath. So Linda, welcome to Shining Bright. 
Thank you, Margie. Always a pleasure to be here with you. Yes, yes. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have you back as well. Um, so let's start. I, I kind of gave everyone a brief flyover, I guess, of who you are. But let's start with, um, why don't you tell everybody a little bit of your background as it relates to uh, agriculture and um, uh, health? Absolutely. So I am a registered nurse, and my role within AgriSafe Network is one of community health. I am the boots on the ground gal, reaching producers where they're at and educating and advocating for good healthcare practices in agriculture. Agricultural rate ranks as one of the top um, in the in its industry of all industries, that is, for exposures and injuries, and some of those injuries unfortunately lead to death. And so that's our charge, that's our cause, is to educate those farmers on ranchers. Our information is based on evidence-based research, and, and we put those in easy-to-use-and-understand resources. I'm also a ag producer, as Margie said. I am part of our three-generational family farm. We are row crop farmers here in east-central Nebraska, and we work um, with three generations, being my father-in-law, our sons, and then my husband and I. Yeah, so you um, catch basically every aspect of agriculture and as it relates to health, you, you see all of the things. So Linda, um, tell us a little bit about the, the weather situation that caused the flooding. Explain to us, um, for maybe anybody who, who isn't super familiar, what happened in Nebraska not too long ago to cause all of this attention? It was um, something so unforeseen, and they call it the 500-year flood um, in the middle of March, a bomb cyclone dropped upon us, and we knew that something would change. I'm not exactly sure what that meant. And so on March 12th, actually, um, the weather meteorologist had told us that different forces would come together and possibly um, could cause some major flooding. Our ground was frozen, and it had been a long, hard winter. We had at least two feet of snow on the ground. And all of a sudden, this weather pattern was going to change and um, drop some rain on us. And normally, um, 70 hundredths of rain would be absorbed, especially this time of the year. We love to have 70 hundredths of right. rain. <laughs> and, but this time, it fell on frozen ground, and it had nowhere to go. And they likened it to a parking lot, that our ground was like a parking lot. And so that water spread, and um, the rivers couldn't absorb it. They were frozen. Our creeks were frozen. And so what happened then was a flooding. Um, in Nebraska, there are two major river systems that cross our state, the Platte River and the Elkhorn River. And North Bend, the community that we are associated with, um, has the Platte River that runs right by it. And so that is what was flooded. And so we were warned. Um, we started off on March 12th sandbagging, and they called school off, which was completely unusual. And, and the ironic kind of the funny thing is a week before our boys um, high school basketball team had made it to state. And so they were in the state finals. So the, the crowd, of course, was all community members that were cheering them on. A week later, here they are standing shoulder to shoulder with these kids and filling sandbags. Yeah. And so, um, so th they started sandbagging and, um, and then the rain fell. And we have a creek that runs through part of our ground parcels, and um, it flooded. And it was flooding like I had never seen before. It was, it was an eerie feeling. And that was on a Thursday. And then on that Friday, a levee broke because as that water drained off the hills and towards the river, um, it filled up the river. The river backed up and put pressure on the levee. And it started off as just a small hole and became a three to 400 feet wide gap. 
the water flowed through and um, channeled down towards our little town of 1200, um, rolled over railroad tracks, and then spread into our little community. I am getting chills just listening to you talk about it um, because I... I watched this unfold on the news. Of course, you know, we're, we're right next door. And um, as far as, you know, the state next door. And um, it, it's so bizarre because, I mean, yes, rivers flood, but like the time of year and and the way that all of this came together was just so unheard of and unexpected. And uh, knowing somebody that that sat right there in the middle of it. So, um the the waters came and then um, I think in talking to you your farm it sits up higher right so you didn't experience intense loss maybe as some people did but can you tell us a little bit about some of the the things that occurred after the water came absolutely um, so you're right our farm sits up on the bluff that overlooks the Platte River Valley and. Um, the, it was a strange day when that those floodwaters entered town. And you have to keep in mind, small town, your city council, those people that are in charge of the safety of the folks that live there are people who have other professions. Mm-hmm. So the mayor is a retired farmer that's moved into town. Um, the, one of the city councilmen that um, called the evacuation is actually our high school history teacher, um, a welder, um, and then also a heating and um, air cooling technician. Those are the guys that sat on the city council, along with our volunteer fire department, were watching this levy. And as it broke, they called for a city evacuation. They gave the folks a half an hour to get out of town. Nice. And two highways um, crisscrossed within our city. And three of those exits were closed. So they had one choice, to send the folks north. And that's Toyota Farm. So 17-mile stretch between North Bend and a little village of Snyder, which is 300 folks, um, these people traveled along and all along there, the farms and home places took in folks. We had an extra 10 people at our house, um, ages eight to 88 and one rather large dog that we adopted. (laughs) (laughs) And um, then also our sons um, who have their own farm places took in folks. So at mealtimes, we would have close to 20 people at the table. And, And it was good though. It was good because people needed people and they needed to talk and digest and and try to sort out what was going on around them. And uh, some of the faces I remember as they pulled into our farm um, was one of anguish, one of fear, um, a little bit of anger, um, just not knowing what the next steps will be. And and these waters that came in were icy cold waters. So it was a different type of flood. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Talk about added danger, added, and I can't even imagine saying, you know, you have a half an hour, pack up your house and leave, and you don't know what you're going to come back to. And and it's just a house, it's just things, of course. I'm so glad these people made it safely out, right? I mean, that that's the biggest thing, but, um, and and I'm so glad that those farms were there along the way for them to, to stop at. So with that, we have to head to break, but there's more to come. I want to talk more when we come back about what you dealt with in the days after, what what these people dealt with, the things that you saw, and not just in the days and weeks after, but here we are months after and kind of what things look like. So um, everybody, be sure to stick with us here on Shining Bright. And you can check out farmher.com for all the stories, pictures, videos, all the fun stuff that goes along with Farmher. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Shining Bright. We are talking with Linda Emanuel, who is a nurse and she is a farm her and she is in Nebraska. And we've been talking about uh, the intense flooding that hit the small town near where she lives and farms with her family and um, what what that caused and kind of the aftermath as well. So Linda, when we went to break, we were, you had led us up to the point where um, these people, you know, that lived in town had to leave and um, you ended up with 10 people. And and as you said, a large dog (laughs) uh, at your, your place. Can you uh, describe to us in the days after, you know, um, because, you know, the water came, the people had to leave, but then, then what happened as well? And um, what are the types of things that you were dealing with? So it, it was a, a tough wait. It was four days of waiting before the, the individuals could get back into North Bend. And of course, we don't have a news station or a radio station based out of our city. And the, the Platte River had flooded multiple communities all the way to, to the Missouri. So we felt like we were our own leaders, our own disaster recovery team. And four days after the flooding, I was part of a canvas team that went door to door to assess the people's needs. And of course, our streets were mud and, you know, it was a mud like I've not seen before, mm-hmm. um, had all kinds of contaminants in it, raw sewage to chemicals. To, I saw um, <laughs> a dead rat in somebody's driveway. Mm-hmm. And and so knocking on folks' doors, it was eerie quiet. It was I felt like it was a tornado had dropped in and people were just coming out of their cellars, looking around, trying to figure out what the next steps were going to be. So that was the start of the recovery. So we went door to door and um, told the folks that the North Bend Central High School was going to be our disaster recovery center and they should come there for any needs and resources. Um, We had a donation depot there that um, took up entire gym and um, donations started coming in. It It was the storm after the storm really. Donations were coming in from as far away as Texas, coming on semi trailer loads and it was water, it was food, it was cleaning supplies. Um, baby supplies, um, so many things that we didn't know we needed. Um, We quickly started, um, set up um, different types of resource centers within the school building. So I was part of the volunteer station call center where we aligned flood victims with volunteers that were coming in. And then through that work, um, I quickly discovered that my role um, needed to be one of public health. Mm -hmm. And um, I offered um, PPE, personal protection equipment, um, that was appropriate for the work that was going to be done in cleaning out these homes. Some of these homes had flood sewage water that had come up through sump pump holes. There was so much pressure on our water system. And so with cleaning that, and of course the water was unsafe to drink. Yeah. So it was um, offering water um, and as well as tetanus shots, the public health department came in. Um, and for a day and a half, because they had other communities to take care of, but for a day and a half, they offered tetanus shots. We had Red Cross there for mental health counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, the volunteer firefighter, their, their station was flooded. So they set a, a post um, within the school as well to take care of any immediate needs. So it was a coming together of people in our community that most of us hadn't had disaster training in. But somehow we knew that we could trust each other and we were committed and um, we made it work. And and I think you just touched on what my next question was, because when I think about if something like this hit our community, you know, 
who would know who needs to put their hand up and who has the resources and the talent and the the education and the the pieces that they need to help figure this out? Because, I mean, you guys really were probably just looking at a puzzle that looked like it was just the biggest mess on the face of the earth. And I, I can't even imagine how to figure out how to start to put those pieces back together. Exactly. Um, it actually was our school superintendent and through his leadership um, identified those folks in our community that get things done. And so that's what it took. Um, we all were together for a common purpose yep. and uh, there, were, there were meetings there twice a day. Um, city council would talk in, in updates about where the levy was and, and people's safety and, and what can we get a hold of? Because at that point, we still couldn't get out of North Bend. Um, Omaha was shut off. The main arteries to Omaha were all destroyed. Roads were scrambled and destroyed. So we had to take care of ourselves. Yeah. And and I mean, it just in this day and age, you know, where we're all so connected, that seems so foreign, right? Like, who can imagine a time when you're cut off from everything? But, but it happened. And... Um, yeah, I just it, it just amazes me how you guys came together and and I think it's uh, community, right? Like we, we don't get to see this very often anymore because we do spend a lot of our time in the online world or in in media watching TV and watching other people go through these things. But but community at the heart of it came together here and helped each other out. Um, so, Linda, we've we've talked quite a bit about the the people in town. Um, can you talk just a bit about farmers maybe in your surrounding area that were affected because the pictures I saw as related to agriculture fields, fields covered for acres as far as you could see with sand and sediment that will look to me like they will never be farmable again. And obviously uh, cattle and other livestock that were uh, killed through this as well. So can you talk to me just a little bit about what the farmers went through? Farmers um, do very well in taking care of themselves. And so when this flood happened, um, a majority of the farmers went into town to help those folks um, because we have the equipment, the skid loaders, the trucks, the trailers to to haul the debris away. So when town finally settled, people were back in and and having some type of normalcy. They start, farmers started looking at their own ground and and what the losses were there. And our um, bottom ground that runs by that Maple Creek, we had no banks that were of sand. It was the most bizarre thing. I have no idea where this sand came from. Yeah. We had two feet of sand laying there. Um, and so going down there, first of all, to find a decent road that would carry equipment to go clean up, um, that was a challenge. So it, it was sand. It was pivots that were sunken in load. The water would swirl around the reels and drop those pivots. Gearboxes were full of debris. And cattle, um, there were some farmers that lived down by the Platte River that couldn't get to their cattle. They couldn't feed them. And so the National Guard stepped in and did hay drops mm-hmm. and um, just to give them some feed. And so I did walk alongside a few of our neighbor farmers. Of course, through all of this, the national media caught, it, um, caught a glimpse of what was going on in North Bend. And when they could get into town, um, they were wanting to cover the farmers. And I found myself in a protective mode. They're, these are my people. And so right. I did go with um, with the media and visited some farmers and, and got to um, be part of interviews. And, um, you know, it was one of shock and disbelief, um, anguish, a little bit of an emotional numbing. Um, but in telling the story, I think it helped um, to take those first steps into resiliency. Yeah, um, I yeah, I mean f- for sure, and and thank you for for what you gave your community because um, you know it's 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 amazing to me. Um, 
And I want to talk, we're, we're going to head to break here in just a minute, but let's come back and let's talk about the aftermath now, because here we are months out, right? And and so um, past those first few weeks of shock and just trying to, to dig back out, like wh- what I want to find out more about what things actually look like on the ground there. And um, from your nurse perspective and from the AgriSafe perspective, the types of um, issues that maybe you see people are dealing with and, and how um, you guys are able to help them maybe through that or help lead them to resources through that. So um, everybody stick with us here. We'll be back uh, soon. Don't forget, you can always call and leave your thoughts with us at 515-444-5261. If you tell me what you like, what you don't like, if you have anything you want to share with us about your farm, her story, please leave that there. And we will get that right here on Shining Bright. You can join our farm, her journey. Watch the show Fridays and Sundays at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on RFD TV and visit farmhair.com to hear the stories, learn about our events, read the blogs, and of course, check out the merchandise. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Katie Crow, owner of Uplift Fitness Studio. Uplift Fitness Studio is a boutique fitness studio located right in the heart of Grimes, Iowa in the Governor's District. Uplift offers a variety of group fitness classes such as yoga, cardio, Zumba, bar, and strength classes. All new students can get their first week free with no obligation. At Uplift Fitness, we are passionate about uplifting women in our community to be strong, healthy, and happy. We strive to make a difference in their lives by creating an environment that allows our members to obtain their fitness goals and enjoy their experience in comfort and safety. Visit our website today at www.upliftfitnessstudio.com. Welcome back to Shining Bright. We are still on the line with Linda Emanuel from Nebraska, and she has walked us through um, the weather events that led to extreme flooding, uh, completely unforeseen flooding in her small town of North Platte, Nebraska. And um, it it's just, I feel like I've kind of like gone along this emotional roller coaster just in these past 20 minutes with you, Linda. Um, the way you yeah. explained it has been so thoughtful. Um, but so now here we are, you know, a number of months out from this complete devastation. So can you tell us a little bit about what farmers and people in town, anybody affected by this, like what's some of the aftermath? What what are the things they're going through now? Um, it, it, things are better, of course. The sun is shining and there's green crops around us. And I don't know that I've ever felt the year that I've been so grateful to have green living and breathing um, plants around me. And we just got done with a hot, uh, very hot weather spell, as, as did Iowa did. But, you know, it was okay. It was like it, it's growing our crops and, and, and we're doing all right. Um, people are weary. They're tired, of course. Um, a lot of work in cleanup. On our ground, it took um, two weeks of heavy equipment, and that was only 80 acres to remediate that land so that it could be planted again. There are some farmers that live down on the Platte River bottom that um, probably won't be able to plant anything for a couple of years at least mm-hmm. and, and trying to make those decisions. And you're also waiting on FEMA and you know those federal monies to dictate exactly how what are those first best steps. Yeah. Um, we've been very fortunate, and the University of Nebraska-Lincoln has an awesome website, flood.unl, 
that edu that has been very helpful in helping you know construct those next steps to, to taking care of the land and taking care of ourselves um, coping strategies are working fairly well um, we talk about emotional highs and lows and of course um, you go from the heroic honeymoon phase where we were evacuating people and, and then going back in there and cleaning up their homes and everybody's high-fiving and and feeling good about the work we've done to a little bit of a disillusionment um, certain trigger events. We just had a recent rainstorm and people were a little bit apprehensive. Like, is that levee going to break again? Um, it's been repaired, but what, will this happen again? And the river has changed channels. It's created its own channel. So it's continuing to erode banks that it's never eroded before. And so th there are definitely watchful eyes and um, apprehension. A few of our businesses in town, the medical clinic, the pharmacy, and our auditorium where people gather for events, um, are still in repair stage. Um, some businesses decided not to come back, um, but we're, we're very glad that at least for medical care and the dentist office, pharmacy, those main staples we need in a small town, um, they will be back. Um, so, you know, we're, we're making it. We're, step by step, we're making it. And I can't help but wonder when you say that, that the medical resources basically were so heavily affected that they're still making their way back, what what have people been doing for... Um, health like for doctor's visits and stuff is it still open or have they had to go to another community um some have gone to another community um fremont is just 25 miles down the road and of course now the highways are open and working well so mm -hmm. they will travel there our pharmacy um you never know which door to go into because they're <laughs> in construction phase but you know they're, they're making it work they've yeah. kind of set up a temporary office so um you know things are going well and I, I, when I look back at the whole picture, there were some key folks in those at the right place at the right time to help us. And in one of those, when, when we talk farmers and agriculture, was this unexpected group from Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, they were the Ohio Rural Relief um, individuals. And my husband took a call about day five, six into this um, from Rose Hartshoe. And she was referred um, by the Donation Depot coordinators because um, not only were they getting donations for the town folks, they were also having people call with, hey, donations. And, and so it's actually my sister-in-law who coordinated that, the donation, donation depot. She referred calls to my husband. And so um, he took a call from Rose, and she was wanting to come with a group of 30 farmers bringing supplies. And, of course, he was hesitant. Right. And when I heard the story, I was very hesitant. I'm like, who, who are these people? Yeah, they're going to show up and, here, and, and, and we already are lacking <laughs> in resources, right? Exactly. And, and 800 miles away, you know, why North Bend? And um, they came. Luckily, my husband has um, a stronger trust than I do. And so um, they came into our little town two weeks after the flood. What a life-changing um, moment. Yeah. They lifted our spirits in ways that we had no idea that um, is what we needed at the time. They brought 20, over $25,000 worth of equipment is what we see on our hand from hay fencing supplies to calf starter to veterinary supplies, wow. gift cards, food. Yeah. And they spent 36 hours walking side by side with us, um, picking up debris, cleaning out fence lines, um, talking with us. As a matter of fact, Rose and I um, talked as we were walking along our land, and that was the first time I had time to even go down to, to see what, what the flood had left behind. And... Um, and, and just her standing there being alongside of me helped me to digest everything that had happened. Yeah. 
um, she was that strength we needed. And to have another farmer there in it. Well, Rose has been a part of our farm, her journey in the past as well. And we're going to be visiting with her on the next segment here in this show about uh, some of her side of the story as well. So um, it's it's just amazing. So Linda, I want to shift gears here. We just have a couple minutes left in this segment. Can you tell me overall, I know Agri- AgriSafe, uh, the organization that you are part of, has a lot of resources that they are putting out there for mental health. Can you tell me a little bit about what's going on, not just in Nebraska, but across the country right now through AgriSafe? Absolutely. AgriSafe is a nonprofit national organization. And so um, what we do is, of course, take care of those emerging issues that are occurring in agriculture. And we have started, um, due to a generous grant, um, a mental health campaign. And it's a farm well, it's a balance of body and mind. And we have designed a toolkit using resources um, from experts who work in behavioral health. And this toolkit is a plan of care that is to be utilized by rural primary health care providers. We know that most farmers and ranchers will go to their primary care provider first if they have um, illnesses. And 60 to 80% of the time, those illnesses are related to stress. However, over 75% of the time, that mental stress component is overlooked. And so we are now educating healthcare providers via online um, webinars, which are live or upon demand, um, some useful tools that they have. And and one of them is motivational interviewing. Um, It can take less than five minutes to do a quick screen um, of that patient on their mental health status and then determine if any resources or referrals need to be made. Um, We know right now agriculture is tough. Um, Not only do we have these um, severe weather events, we also have um, economic losses, Mm -hmm. those trade talks that are ongoing and ongoing. Um, Inputs remain high, land values, um, you know, the cost to to operate remains high. However, commodity prices are low. So um, we're we're attacking it from a little bit of a different angle. We're reaching out to healthcare providers. And um, when we get those folks educated, then we're going to start leaning into the community influencers those rural bank lenders, veterinarians, pastors, those people that rub elbows with the farmers on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I think it's such an important program. If somebody is listening and saying, I want to, you know, get this training myself, or I know someone in my community who'd be perfect, where can they go to find out more about that? They can check out our website, which is agrisafe.org. And from there, they will see useful tabs. Um, and one of them is the learning lab, which is, uh, is up towards the top. It's the header tab. Okay. And from there, they click on in there and our course and catalog. And all of that is listed very easily and, and in plain sight. Wonderful. Well, Linda, you are such a blessing. Thank you for sharing your story and the story of your community. Thank you for all that you've given to others around you and uh, for sharing that here on Shining Bright. Oh, it's my honor. It's, it was a journey and I was glad to be part of it. Well, everybody, uh, stick with us. We're going to be back here in the next segment with a little bit more about this. Hey, everybody, this is Margie geiler Alanis from Shining Bright by FarmHer. I want to tell you about a friend, a community member, a business owner that we really believe in. Our house was kind of a shell when we bought it and we've been working on updating and changing and adding things on. And we found a local contractor that we can trust, that we love the work that they do, and that is Remodel Works. Check them out at remodelworksdb.com. They're right here in central Iowa. You'll love them. 
And welcome back again to Shining Bright. So if you are all like me, we have been on a bit of an emotional roller coaster with Linda uh, through the first part of this episode. Um, you know, her perspective and, and her thoughts about what happened in Nebraska and how their community came together and, and how they're recovering um, are just so so real and so good. And I'm so happy to have had her on here. Uh, if you recall, she talked about a woman named Rose Hartshoe, who is from Ohio. And we actually have Rose on the line now. Rose, welcome to Shining Bright. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So before we talk about Nebraska, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role as a farm heart? Absolutely. My husband, Greg, and I farm with his family in North Central Ohio. We raise corn, soybeans, and we also milk cows. In addition to that, we have about 100 crossbred ewes that keep us busy. That's been a fairly new endeavor for us. It's been a lot of fun. And we have a wedding venue. So a little bit of everything. I guess you could say we're diversified. Yeah, yeah. So you actually were on a panel at one of our grow events in Ohio a couple of years ago. And I remember this about you, that you have a lot of a lot of things going on and uh, you, you get involved in a lot of really cool things in agriculture. Um, so uh, as Linda kind of led us into, you became a part of, I guess, the... Um, recovery, the the aftermath of this uh, weather situation and the flooding that happened in Nebraska. Can you tell us from your side, like, did you hear and see this on the news? And, and maybe it was just you, maybe it was a group that you were part of, like, how did this come together where you traveled across the country and, and helped in Nebraska? So one of the things that was most surprising for us is we were watching this kind of unfold on social media and we didn't see anything on the mainstream news channel. You know, we would turn on the 6 o'clock news and there wouldn't be any coverage of this disaster that was impacting so many people across the country. And so when you start to see those stories unfold on social media, it tugs your heart even more because all of this is happening and they're really not asking for help. They're really not asking for handouts. They're just dealing with it day by day. Mm -hmm. And I think in agriculture, that's what we're accustomed to. We just pick up the pieces and we deal with the clothes and we move on. However, if we watch these stories, mainly on Facebook and Instagram and some of those outlets, we really felt a call to help. So in 2017, my husband and I organized a group to go to Kansas Mm -hmm. to help with the wildfire relief. And here, two years later, we're watching the same kind of disaster unfold in Nebraska. And we're both kind of thinking to ourselves, are we going to do something? Are we going to do something? But neither one of us vocalized it until one evening we just looked at each other and we knew that we wanted to organize some sort of effort to help these people that we had never met recover. And the main thing that we just kept thinking about was that if the tables were turned and something like that happened to us in Ohio... We know that there would be people from all over the country that would just flood in and help us. And I think in agriculture, we have such a tight-knit community that it's kind of the mentality of we're all in this together. And so we started some conversations and started deciding what, what our group would look like and what we would do. And we just put out an ask with some of the people we knew. And the next thing we knew, we had about 30 volunteers 30? Mainly from our part, 30 volunteers. Wow. um, Mainly from our part of Ohio that were willing to just drop a few days and drive across the country. 
And, you know, these are things that don't just happen. Um, you know, from, from Linda's perspective, she basically, you know, they get this call in through their uh, recovery center and, you know, they've got a, a group of 30 farmers that want to come help. And, um, you know, they were just kind of like, what? Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so tell me about the logistics. Like you started, did you raise money? Did you ask for donations? Like, I mean, you guys came with a lot of help and a lot of resources for, for these flood victims. And where do you even start? Especially yeah. in this instance. Um, so when we went to Kansas, it was fairly simple to organize because there was mainly one part of the state that had been hit by the wildfires, and that's kind of where all of the relief efforts were focusing. When you looked at Nebraska on a map, the state is just enormous, and so much of the state was impacted in this case. So to find a dot on the map to travel to was a little bit challenging. And there were times where we were not even sure that we were going to pull it off because so many people were impacted. It was so early on in the cleanup that they didn't know what their needs were or how people could help. It was all through fate, I would say, that I ended up in talking to some of the coordinating volunteers in North Bend, and she took my contact information and said, I don't really know what the farmers need, but I'll see what I can find out. And so it was through that connection and that I talked on the phone with Linda's husband, mm-hmm. and I could tell the first time that we talked, he was just thinking, okay, is this for real? Like, do people really want to come help us? We don't even know them. Uh, And you can tell that he was kind of um, feeling out, you know, to see what kind of group we were and, you know, what our experience in agriculture was because he would name off some tasks that they needed done. And I would say, yeah, that's no problem for farmers. (laughs) And most people would be um, like, what? No. (laughs) Exactly. Like, you want to come help us and you know you're going to get dirty and um, you want to do all this technical stuff. Um, but it was through some of those initial conversations then that we were able to kind of formulate a plan for our group. Uh, yeah, I, um, it, it's funny and, and, you know, right of them to be cautious because they had a house filled with people that were, you know, displaced from the flooding and they're kind of going, oh my gosh, how are we going to, how are we going to deal with more, you know, but right. um, from Linda's perspective, you were just one of the biggest blessings and, um, you know, it, it, helped them through a lot. So you got these resources together, you traveled across a few states. When you first arrived there, um, what what was your reaction? What was your feeling? It was definitely overwhelming. I mean, you see the pictures and you, you hear the stories, but you don't really experience it for yourself until you're there on the ground. And the overall sense that we got was just a sense of being overwhelmed yet being completely hopeful that everything would would turn around. The people that we met were just so resilient and like anybody that farms, they knew that this was going to be a tough year, but they'd work together and they would get through it. I think things like this really build a sense of community and that's something that we definitely recognized in North Bend was just everybody was concerned with taking care of their neighbors. Yeah. I, um, in talking to Linda, I think that's one of my biggest takeaways, right. Is, is that 
um, a small tight knit community came became even smaller and even more tight knit through something like this, which I mean, you never want to go through something that is is a tragedy for so many people uh, to to bring you all together. Right. But um, the way that that this town came together is is just absolutely amazing. So, Rose, if you've got a little bit more time, I think we should come back in the next segment and talk a little bit from your perspective about about like the actual organization of something like this, because it's one thing to say, yeah, we got a group together and, you know, we traveled across a few states, but I'd love to hear your perspective on how to kind of grassroots organize something like this. Yeah, absolutely. um, Because anybody can do it, right? Like this, this isn't, um, it doesn't have to be a one-time thing. And and there's always things going on around the country. And, and I always say agriculture is just that it's a culture and it and it's a unique culture full of people who care about each other and understand what each other are going through. And so, you know, we, we have that ability to kind of tap into each other. And so everybody stick with us. We'll be back here in just a few minutes and we'll dig in uh, more about how you can make these types of things happen. So stay with us. Next week, tune into Shining Bright by Farmher for another unique episode. We'll be digging into a company called Tillable, who is changing the way that farmers access land. And then we're going to head over to one of our friends at Syngenta, Danny Dvorak, who is from Brazil and has made her life and career here in the United States working in agriculture. And she is a change maker. This is a Shining Bright you won't want to miss. Welcome back to Shining Bright. We are talking again with Rose Hartshoe, who is from Ohio and organized um, some relief efforts for the farmers in Nebraska and specifically in the community uh, where Linda is um, associated. And so, Rose, from your perspective, I mean, um, you know, I it almost makes me feel overwhelmed. I'm, I'm sure, you know, you you walk into this flooding situation and, and you feel overwhelmed. But when I think about how to organize uh, a relief effort like you did with thousands of dollars worth of goods and, and help and resources and 30 people and driving across multiple states to get all of that there. Can you tell me a little bit about how you went about organizing this? Yeah, definitely. And I think the main message that we would share with somebody is anybody can do this. It doesn't require an organization behind you. It doesn't require, you know, weeks and months of planning. As long as you go into it with a clear goal in mind and go about it in the right way, you can definitely pull something like this off. When we were thinking about whether or not we were going to go to Nebraska, it basically came down to two things for us. We were able to do it, and there was a need. And I think that's something that we can all remember, that whether it's driving across several states or whether it's just helping somebody in your backyard, if you're able to do it and there's a need, then definitely jump in. So when it came to planning and organizing this for us, it was important to us that we had a clear destination in mind and that we were talking directly with somebody in the community that was impacted. Mm-hmm. Linda and her family were so awesome at helping us figure out what the needs were so that we could be sure that we were meeting those in the right way. 
So I think it's really important, first and foremost, to establish where exactly you're going to help and what the needs are in that particular area. And then after that, it's just kind of a matter of how you would plan any sort of road trip, figuring out your routes, figuring out where you're going to go, when you're going to go, and getting some of those details hashed out. It does take money and resources. And one of the things that we found were there were so many people that wanted to help here in Ohio that weren't able to make the trip. So they were able to plug in in some ways, whether that was kind of financially supporting our fuel and expenses or whether that was collecting donations here that we could transport with us. So I think it's thinking beyond your immediate group. So where are some of those other places that people can plug in? Because people do want to help. They just need a way to do it. And I think that's probably one of the keys, right? Is like, um, it can kind of feel scary to ask people for help in some of those things, but people want to help most of the time, especially when they're seeing something like this go on. So um, giving them yeah, giving them an outlet to do that is a great thing. Yeah, and I think realizing that there's lots of different ways that you can help. I mean, for us, going was one of the biggest ways that we were able to to participate. But, you know, we had so many people that set up donation sites at their church for items for us to take or, you know, reached in their communities and collected gas cards for us. So there's lots of different ways to plug in, and it doesn't have to be a huge commitment. There's just kind of determining what the need is and how you can fit into that solution. And you took like resources like gift cards and stuff like that. Did you take hay? Did you take equipment? Did you take like larger things and it and it took more uh, like trailer transport of that type of stuff? One of the things that we saw a need for pretty early on was just manpower. And so we kind of determined that there were a lot of other groups that were collecting hay and some larger supplies. And we thought the best course of action for us was to let those groups do that and for our group to focus on volunteers mm-hmm. and cleanup supplies. So we took trucks and trailers, but we took things that we knew would be an immediate need. So things like fencing supplies or livestock first aid supplies and things like that. And that was something that worked out well for us is just determining what fit best with our group and how we were traveling and then letting some of the other groups take some of the things that worked better for the group. And Rose, we are almost out of time here, but Linda described that the first time she saw some of the devastation that occurred right there on their their property, you were with her. Um, can you tell me your biggest takeaway from from um, traveling there and meeting these people? We didn't know a soul in North Bend when we left Ohio, but now we're so fortunate to have a, you know these friends that are just going to continue for years. The biggest takeaway for me was just the amount of devastation coupled with the roll up your sleeves kind of mentality that, yeah, it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. It's going to take us years to overcome this, but it's not the end. And that's agriculture right there. Rose, thank you so much for putting yourself out there and for joining us here on Shining Bright. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Shining Bright by Farmhood. Be sure to listen Saturdays at noon and Sundays at 1 p.m. Eastern on SiriusXM's Rural Radio 147 and the SiriusXM app. And now, go shine bright.